This is episode 261 with five-time Irish national champion, chartered physiotherapist, and biomechanics PhD, Owen Everard. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and we're talking to a multiple national champion in this episode. Owen Everard is a five-time Irish national champion, a sub-four-minute miler, and a sub-14-minute 5K runner. Owen also has a PhD in biomechanics and is a practicing physiotherapist, so he knows a thing or two about the physiology that informs running. We talk about figuring out the type of runner that you are so you can run smarter workouts for yourself. The workout changes Owen has made to his training since becoming a European master's athlete, his strength training habits, and more. If you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, short strength workouts specific to the demands of running, smarter training tips to keep you running fast, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on topics like strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset, plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish whatever goal that you might have. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. This summer, prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, or weakness with Element. If you've eliminated most processed foods from your diet, you're likely eliminating the largest source of sodium in your diet, according to the FDA. You can now get a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning. They're going to send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so that you can try them all before committing. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. And another big thanks to Ice Barrel for supporting this episode. Go to icebarrel.com slash strengthrunning and use code strengthrunning for $125 off your own barrel. I recently brought an ice barrel to the Endeavor Run running retreat a few weeks ago, and it was a huge hit. Cryotherapy has been shown to improve your mood, reduce anxiety, and reduce inflammation. Use the code STRENGTHRUNNING, no space, at icebarrel.com slash strengthrunning, and you'll get $125 off your barrel. Now stick around until the end to hear more about why I love Ice Barrel. All right, our guest today is Owen Everard. He's a five-time Irish national champion in the 1,500 and 3,000 meters, who's also a certified athletic therapist, frequent lecturer, and PhD in biomechanics. As a chartered physiotherapist, he works directly with high-performing athletes to help them get healthy, stay healthy, and perform at their best. In this conversation, we're discussing Owen's unique insights on training and how to stay healthy. 
we discussed the differences between neuromuscular type runners versus more aerobic oriented runners, how that impacts the type of workouts that you should do, how Owen has reevaluated his training now that he's a European master's athlete, how he stays healthy, his strength training habits, and a lot more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Owen Everard. Thanks for being here, Owen. How's it going today? Jason, how are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Really big fan of the podcast, so uh, delighted to be back. Yeah, and you are back because this is actually the second time we're recording this due to some technical difficulties. So hopefully we can get some of the magic that we had bottled up in our first conversation and have it here again on round two of the same conversation. So yeah, it's like that was like, you know, best song ever, but I can't remember. So that we can always refer, oh my God, that first conversation was unbelievable. (laughs) And no one can hear it, so they'll never know. (laughs) It's lost in the annals of time. Well, I'm really excited about this because uh, I, I do think you have a very interesting perspective on the sport. You are uh, not just an elite athlete, you're a two-time Irish national champion in the 1500. You're also a physiotherapist with a PhD in biomechanics. So I, I love speaking with folks who have a varied background and can bring a lot of different experiences to the conversation. And I want to start with a topic that you actually brought up offline while we were chatting back and forth via email, you mentioned that there are neuromuscular style runners and aerobic style runners. And this really piqued my interest. And I'd love to know what the difference is between the two. Yeah, good. Great, great way to start there, Jason. So basically, this is a a thing I've been thinking about a lot more, especially as I went to more 5k training. Okay, so as you said, I was more of a 1500 meter runner, 800 meter runner, which is all kind of neuromuscular. Um, But when I started training for the 5K, personally, I was doing a lot more aerobic training. So a lot of lactic threshold work, uh, marathon work, started training with a lot more 5K, 10K guys. And the first year I was training, I just did all lactic aerobic work. And when I went to race, I was like very sluggish. The pace just felt way too quick for me. Um, Race on race, I would get better. And near the end of the season, I was getting better, but I didn't, I didn't feel like for the continuous training I had done, I had kind of got a lot out of myself. And I was chatting to a guy and I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, what I was missing was those real specific sessions, those specific workouts where I'm, hitting the key times. Now they don't have to be excessively hard, but they have to be at race pace for me. So the next year I was doing uh, workouts at at least three to four weeks out that essentially like charge my uh, nervous system. So I would do say 1200 meters at 5k pace, a lap jog recovery, and then I would do um, say a mile at a lactic threshold. And then, or slightly quicker than lactic, kind of that CV pace, you know, like the tin man, tin man group. Then I would do, um, from 1200, I would do 800 and like say 3k pace. And then I would do 1200 of a, a lap jog, 1200 at CV pace. And then I would do 400 at 1500 meter pace and 800 at CV pace. And that was the kind of end of the session. And what I found was with those sessions then, and we would have done maybe like four by 600, 
four by 400 at 5k and 4k uh, 3k pace once then i got into the race now i had like a pattern a familiarity with the pace and i i I ran i ran like say sub 14 minutes then conversely so that's a neuromuscular athlete a neuromuscular athlete needs training that is at race pace at least four weeks out and i would say ideally once every two weeks throughout or two to three weeks throughout their season should be say going to a track or going on to like uh, a specific distance that they know and running running race pace now that that for me that would be needed all the way up to say like 10 miles i would need six by a mile at race pace say for me it would be say five minute miling i need that now conversely though my coach started training a couple of other guys who once we did those type of track sessions it seemed to burn them out and rather than where i on my first race if i had just done lactic threshold and marathon work and the aerobic stuff they seemed to do really well off the marathon pace lactic threshold pace and then some strides afterwards and they would then seem to run really well and if they did a lot of track work it seemed to fry their nervous system it fried them neuromuscularly and they they did they kind of burned out they didn't seem to do better race on race and they didn't seem to do as well so I feel like it's important to know what type of runner you are. So Jason, we kind of talked about that last time that you would have felt you were more a, an aerobic runner. Yeah, actually, if I look back on some of my personal bests, they don't make any sense. So, so for example, uh, my mile PR was run after a period of time where I really wasn't doing very many fast workouts. You know, I might have been doing some some 200s, uh, in strides for sure, but almost all of it was more tempo lactate threshold oriented work, which doesn't come close to your mile pace. You know, it is substantially different. You know, where I'm talking for me, you know, the difference between my tempo pace and my mile PR is about a minute per mile. And, and that's substantial. So when I was doing things like that, it, it made me feel really strong. And I, I just felt really good, really strong. And I went into this mile race. It was actually the December after I graduated college. And, and this was a time when, you know, the conventional wisdom was that it doesn't matter what you're going to do. You probably will not touch any of the mid-distance PRs you set in college because it's just more difficult when you don't have a team with you. You don't have a coach. You don't have people pushing you in workouts. And maybe I didn't actually need a lot of those really grueling workouts because there were workouts where I am actually more impressed by the workout than some of my other race performances. And some of the workouts I was doing, if I could just, you know, translate that into a race performance, I think some of my PRs might've been a lot faster. And it's probably just because I was doing too much intensity. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good way of understanding, are you a neuromuscular athlete or are you an aerobic athlete? If you have a lot of, a lot of workouts that do not then correlate to a race performance that's a clear sign that you are more of an aerobic athlete because you're you're probably burning too much intensity so like i know a guy dave mccarthy this isn't just for longer distances he was doing loads of threshold work and some strides and he came like third in indoor ncaa's 
he ran 355, you know, before the, the magic shoes were out. So a really impressive time. And then he was like, can you believe I, I could run that just off threshold? And at the time I was like, oh my God, that's unbelievable. He's like, think about when I started getting specific track work in. He did the specific track work that summer and ran slower. Now, looking back, it's because he's a norm. He was an aerobic athlete, but the traditional wisdom was always, well, you do your aerobic work in the winter and then you transition to more faster speed work in the summer. And for a lot of people, say like yourself, that doesn't work because you're, you're, you, you know it as well by what's your like superpower. Like today I went, my friend, I'm on kind of coming back off a break, but my friend is getting ready for a race and he's going to, he just did two hundreds and three hundreds down the track. I, I honestly was like a kid at Christmas. I couldn't wait to do that session. Whereas I have a longer session, um, you know, sometimes I'm dreading it. And I have a friend then who's purely aerobic. And if we have a longer session, he's like a kid at Christmas. And he's like, he's just, he just gets into a rhythm. He's just breathing so smoothly. So knowing what, what works for you is important. So just keeping an eye on, do you feel like you're neuromuscular or do you feel like you're aerobic? And again, generally the keys to know are an aerobic runner seems to run better off less races. They run better when they're just doing, they feel very strong when they're doing lactic threshold work or aerobic work, which would be slower than lactic threshold, like marathon pace, with just strides to keep the running economy going. They, If they did a lot of very hard workouts, it doesn't seem to correlate well to good races. The neuromuscular runner seems to run better with multiple races. They'll start to seem to get better, say, if they have a race, two-week break, race, two-week break, race because the races bring them on they seem to really enjoy harder workouts and they need they nearly feel they need to do that to get the rhythm of running and a lot of times when they're doing lactic threshold work it feels like a fast jog as opposed to their their racing stride yeah it's it's interesting thinking about this and 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 of course it's a spectrum right you know we can't just divide all runners into you are either an aerobic style runner or a neuromuscular style runner. Is that correct? Yeah. And it's like, you still need, there's three things to run well. There's VO2 max, which you can't change. There's lactic threshold and there's running economy. So essentially your neuromuscular runner is going to rely more on running economy and your aerobic runner is going to rely much more on say lactic threshold. However, you need both. So this isn't, this isn't a thing of you can completely ignore your neuromuscular and just do lactic threshold but it's just how do you optimize for that like what you what you really focus on and um just to just to give a general sense so you're either going to be kind of one or the other and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter the distance you're doing like you know Jakob Inger Britson even though he's like 1500 meter you know Olympic champion he's a pure aerobic runner he doesn't do a lot of sessions that go very very hard they're all within a certain lactic zone and that seems to work really well for him whereas you have another runner running the same distance or who could be a 5k or a 10k or a 10 mile runner who's a neuromuscular athlete and as we said it's not that they're having to sprint 400s it's just that in their training they'll have to do some specific race race practice like like say for myself when i was running a 10 mile i need to do 10 days out like six by a mile off a minute at race pace 
if someone was nor muscular or sorry, someone was aerobic, they might, the exact same session might be two miles straight in a lactic threshold pace, which will probably be roughly their 10 mile pace anyway, because they're that way inclined. Then they might just do two by a mile at race pace because they don't need as much of that. And then finish with two miles at a lactic threshold pace again. So they're doing a chunkier block of aerobic, one or two specific chunkier block of aerobic. The neuromuscular athlete needs needs to be specific about times to get used to how it feels. Whereas like say with you and I know other runners, just because they're a minute slower in training, they seem to be able to transition a lot easier to a race pace and like dig in. Where it, where that pace is completely foreign to me, I just I can't really get into that rhythm. Can we talk a little bit about how you determine what type of runner you are? Because I think for a lot of adult runners who don't have a lot of experience with shorter middle distance events like you know the fifteen hundred or the mile, the three k, the five k, if, if runners don't have a big history of racing those types of races and doing those types of hard workouts and very race specific paces within those workouts. I think it can be a little bit more difficult because, you know, for, I would say a majority actually of the adult population, they are focusing on the half marathon or the marathon. So all of most of their workouts are actually aerobic to begin with. They're doing tempo runs. They're doing even their goal race pace work is an aerobic pace. So they really never touch too much of that neuromuscular VO2 max side of things. So for those types of runners, what's a good approach to learning whether they might be more of a neuromuscular or an aerobic oriented runner? It's a good question. I think if you're going towards a marathon, you're going to be naturally inclined towards, um, naturally inclined towards being an aerobic athlete unless a lot of people just do the marathons because you know if you go longer it's it's better you know where i think there's two things you could do i think the first is you could try shorter races and see how you respond so like consciously say after a marathon have a time where you're going to try a 5k or a 10k and see see how it feels does it feel actually easier do one two weeks later do you seem to improve again? Do one two weeks later again. So there's a little bit of trial and error. If it is that like after the third one or fourth, you're actually falling off or you, you kind of feeling a bit fried, that's more of an indication. Yeah, you're probably on the right lines with aerobic running. Um, So there is a tiny bit of trial and error. The other way you could trial and error is the types of workouts that you do. And I'm thinking this even for a marathon. If you're going to be more of an aerobic runner, the longer like continuous runs, um, maybe like using marathon pace is you're going to benefit a lot. If, if you're a more neuromuscular runner, I would say every second week in your long run, you shouldn't just be increasing the mileage. You should be doing a kind of modified session in there. So say, for example, you might do a 60 minute warm up, it's like 60 minutes easy, or even say, sorry, 45 minutes easy. And then you might do five minutes at marathon pace, five minutes, like a minute slower than that as a recovery or like two minutes slower, five minutes and do say five of those. So that if every set, say you're at 16 miles of a continuous, easy long run, the following week, you might do 14 miles 
but the last bit might have a session of say five in five out you might have you, you might have a slight progression run in the last bit so you're just adding in more race specific stuff even into your long run and seeing how your body responds to that so look there's there is no way obviously you know for an experiment like unless you change something it's hard to know if it works you know you can't just continue to do the same thing and go you need an a or a b the two ways i think you could do it is say after a marathon target some shorter races and see how quickly you respond by improving and doing some maybe harder workouts like being not being afraid to to test and to fail that go okay i might actually you know, not run as well because I'm I'm experimenting with more specific race specific training, but I want to see if this is the type of stuff that will do. Because another kind of off point is I feel like a lot of people are not doing shorter events enough because maybe ego is telling them that you know what you're only running say twenty three minutes for a five k, which still is really good, but I'll get more kudos running three hours 27 for a marathon yet where it's like you know if you really targeted to try break 20 or try break 21 you know um, so sometimes we're just going longer just because god isn't it great that everybody thinks we do a marathon where it might be more suited to us and a little bit healthier to have a a variety in our training and you know maybe target a marathon once some once a year but then the rest of the time really more focus on can I do shorter events even if I'm not as good at them um it might be just a bit healthier for my body you know I've been banging that drum for a long time because I do think that even the marathoners those people who whose primary goal is to become a faster marathoner maybe they want to break four hours or three hours or qualify for Boston no matter what the goal is they are primarily a marathoner that's how they think of themselves but I think there's so much value in taking time away from the marathon, maybe only doing one per year so that you can have maybe two other seasons throughout the year where you're focused on middle distance events or something like the 5k or 10k, because you do get a lot more variety in your training. You know, the different races that you train for, they do require some different workouts and you're not putting all your eggs in one basket too. So if you have a bad marathon, you sort of have to just uh, take time off and give it another go in four to five months where, you know, if you don't have a good mile race, you can just do another one next weekend. Literally, literally. I've ran, I've ran terrible and I'm not joking, but in five days I qualified for Europeans. So it's just, you recover really quick. That's funny. We didn't talk about that the last day and it's, it's something that I would love to change in running that there's an obsession with just going longer all the time. And that's fine. And it is a great achievement. But as you said, having different sessions, like variety, I know we'll talk about injury risk here, but variety is so important. And the longer you go, there is yet less muscle muscular activation going on. So there is more reliance on your passive structures, like your plantar fasciitis, your Achilles tendon, your knees, your your hips. So if it's always just like, this is the type of training I'm doing, it's a constant kind of um, stress on those more passive ligamentous joint tendony type tissue. Whereas if you're doing shorter distances, and as you said, I know I run Pilates, so I'm biased, but doing some muscular activation work, doing doing workouts that are for shorter sessions or including some strides and 
adding that in, that's going to increase the activation of the muscular system, which when that's woken up, is then going to take a lot of pressure off the passive structures of the body. So it's just a lot healthier for you to have that mix. Yeah, there's something to be said about the variety of changing the goal race that you're training for. And I think that's an important part to a runner's overall development. Now, I do have a self-serving question here. Uh, I guess I, I can do that since it's my own show, right? Yeah, your best. <laughs> uh, I consider myself more of an aerobic style type of runner based on our conversation, based on my past running history. And if I were to go and say train for a half marathon, what are the types of workouts that I should probably avoid if I don't want to fry my nervous system and get overtrained or just burned out from too much intensity as I'm getting ready for this half marathon? Is, is it like the longer VO2 max oriented type of workouts? Or is it say, for example, what Jack Daniels might call a rep workout or an R workout, you know, those shorter reps where you're running like maybe 5k pace but probably a lot faster than that but the reps are really short they'll kill you they'll kill you once you get away with that maybe for 200 meters because it's short if you take the recovery long enough but if you do those or style workouts that are 5k and quicker you you will fry you'll fry so hard it'll be unbelievable so like all you should be doing half marathon is still long i would be doing set like i would be doing sessions for you of like um five by seven minutes five by eight minutes at marathon like kind of half marathon marathon pace but i would all i would really think you should do a lactic threshold test again for everybody guys these are not expensive these are ring your university over in america i know things are a little bit more regulated but these are like usually about 100 200 dollars max if you got one of these tests done ever you would have the results basically for the rest of your life. So for you, it would all be on heart rate. Um, and it would all be like, as you said, five by seven minutes at marathon pace, uh, at, at like at marathon to lactic threshold pace, like six by four minutes at lactic threshold pace would be as as intense as I would get for you. Um, the sessions you would re- do really well on then, would, rather than doing like say 400s, you would always just do, so say you could do five by seven minutes at at AT, which would be like like below below threshold by about ten beats. Um, it'd be zone three, uh, lactic threshold zone four. If you think intervals then is zone five, the longer stuff like that off a minute, and then afterwards, I would just get you to do four by twenty seconds of a hill with an easy jog back recovery. And that's all the intensity you would need. And they would still just be feel light and easy. Your specific work as an aerobic runner for a half marathon would be things like a steady enough warm up. So you could be, you know, like six, like uh, depending on, like if you were like a 70 minutes, 70 minute half marathoner, which is very fast, but like say you might do seven minute mile seven minute mile warm-ups like ease into them gradually progress it in and then you would do a thousand meters at like say your half marathon pace and then a thousand meters at a minute slower than that off or a thousand thousand meters at target heart rate pace and then drop back like say 10 beats that type of session um 
and then two to three miles cool down. So three miles warm up, three miles cool down, six miles of that kind of work in the minute in the middle. This would be like, say, two weeks out. This would be your hard, hard session. So you're nearly doing the half marathon distance with alternating paces based on heart rate rather than any kind of like track based work. That that that's more where I would go for you. The bread and butter sessions would be five by seven minutes at AT, four by twenty second hills. Um that's aerobic threshold. Or four by six minutes or six by four minutes, depending. Probably for you four by six minutes off ninety seconds or a minute at lactic threshold. All minutes, all heart rates. Uh, you would you would fly off that type of work. And again, you wouldn't have to do that too much either. It would be Wednesday, Saturday, long run Sunday, you know, easy Monday, uh, Tuesday, and Thursday, take a rest day Friday. It's probably beneficial for me just because I'm sitting here getting excited about listening to these workouts because I'm thinking about how good they would make me feel. Uh, I've always thrived off of the more lactate threshold type of work. It's always made me feel really strong. What I am interested in, in those, those 20 second hill reps, these sound, uh, fast, intense, hard, quick. Am I wrong there? Yeah. Like, no, like the thing with these is don't force them ever with any strides. I do recommend you should be, everyone should be doing strides at least once per week. And really I would say do strides after one easy run at the end of it, preferably the day before a workout, because it'll kind of prime your system. And then do them after the warm up. So, say if you do two miles of a warm up, then do like three strides and then get into your session. That would be particularly important for an aerobic runner like like you, Jason, because the work that you're doing in the session isn't going to replicate any kind of running economy work. So, when you're in the zone to do a workout anyway, do some strides, but don't force any stride you ever do. Because what we would find is, say if me and you did strides the first day and we were matched, and what we should feel is like 90%, what I used to always do is imagine someone looking at me. And I want someone to look at me and go, God, he looks really relaxed. So I call it like looking good, feeling easy. They just should feel like, you know, you're nearly in a movie. You know, if someone's watching, it's like, oh God, he's a good runner. That's like, if you're in a movie, you never see a guy... Yeah, like face scrunched up, you know, he's like, oh God, he's really working hard. It shouldn't feel like, geez, he's just gliding along. Perhaps with the exception of Tom Cruise. Tom with the, he's, he's got the <laughs> speed arms, doesn't he? He's got the speed hands. He doesn't close his fists. <laughs> you know what though? He, I don't know how he doesn't rip a hamstring in those. He really boots it when he's running in a movie. You know, there's no, he really goes for it in fairness to Tom. Um, but what you would find is if it's always 90%, and this is the same for a session, for a workout. We call them sessions here. A workout, you should always feel like you could do one more rep, even if you're a neuromuscular athlete or an aerobic athlete. Um, but you, what you would find is if me and you did strides the first day, first week, you continue them for like, say, seven or eight weeks, not trying to force them anymore. If I came back and I hadn't done any strides, if I did strides with you, you'd be way ahead of me. And I've had that as a guy, I've run 148 for 800 meters. I was running with a guy who's running like, say, 15 minutes for 5K. 
And but I hadn't been doing strides. He'd been doing hill strides. The first week or two back, I was he was leaving me for dust. So but not not trying hard. So don't force strides. These should be just nice and easy. They'll improve your run economy, like going easier than going harder. I like your line of, you know, look good, feel easy. And that's a great way of thinking about strides. Um, I, I like to describe strides as a fun way to play with speed without making fast running difficult. So we can certainly differentiate between fast running and hard running. Strides is fast running, but it should not be difficult. It's not hard. It's like a fun drill that you were that you're to do after an easy run or before a workout to help you get ready for that harder work. But it's certainly not difficult. Can we just cut out my five minutes of mumbo jumbo and just go with that? Because <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's fast running, not hard running. Yeah, that's exactly the way it should be. Yeah, you can put me on one point five speed and then just slow it back to a one and listen to Jason because that's that was really well put. <laughs> Well, however you are to learn strides, I hope either explanation was helpful. Um, Owen, I want to spend some time on master's running. I think this conversation about aerobic versus neuromuscular is really interesting, and it's certainly food for thought for those runners who keep banging their head against the wall. You know, they're doing these hard workouts, but maybe they're not improving. Maybe it's just making them feel more and more fatigued. So it's certainly something that these athletes can reflect on. And if you are someone who simply doesn't respond to those really challenging workouts, those race pace workouts, this might be the reason. Yeah. And, and it could be the reverse. If you're doing those kind of minute more really long workout, long training sessions, and you don't seem to be getting the results, maybe you should be just focused on slightly shorter reps at, at race, race pace with a little bit longer recovery. Um, and you might get more benefit. So try both and see what works for you. Yes. Good point. Now, I, I do want to be upfront about talking about masters running. You're the current 3000 meter European indoor masters champion. Although masters is defined a little bit differently in Europe. Yeah. I'm a plastic master. They call me here because I'm only over 35, which it should really be <laughs> over 40, but yeah. Now, how old are you actually? 36. 36. So you're on the low end of being a European masters, but nevertheless, I think once you do get over about 35, you start getting into your late thirties. That's when things start being a little bit different. And I'm curious what you've done differently since, you know, the last couple of years, as you've started getting a little bit older, but you're still performing at such a high level. Have you been doing anything different to make sure that number one, you're still able to run fast, but number two, you're staying healthy while you're doing it? Exactly. And I think you do get a little bit more perspective. So I had like a, a bad enough hip injury when I was in my late 20, late 20s, I want to say 30s, uh, 31, 32. And it's that transition we all have that first, it's like, how quickly can I get back? Because I want to race hard. Then it's like, well, I need to get back to keep my some level of fitness. And then it's like, oh, I just want to get back running <laughs> and just for the headspace. So I had to make a transition there then. Um, key things I started doing were one, I I always take a rest day, like a complete rest day once a week. Um, two, I switched from doing like three sessions a week, say Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday to now Wednesday, Saturday, um, Sunday. Because I feel like sometimes, especially if you've ran competitively in your 20s, 
the thing that will do you over in your thir- in your thirties and in your forties is trying to replicate what you've done in the past. You know, it's like, well, when I ran my best, I was doing this type of work. It's like you're you got different responsibilities, you got a different body. Um, so altering it, you're a lot stronger, like aerobically stronger. You're probably a little bit physically stronger, but you're losing power and speed. So you can't chase the same times that you're running. You can't put the same intensity. The recovery isn't there as much. So dropping from two sessions or from two, three workouts to two workouts, including a rest day. I also then um, came up with my own like version of Pilates. I call it sports Pilates. Um, after that hip injury, like I'm a, I'm a charter physiotherapist. And as you said, I have my PhD, my biomechanics. So I was always interested in movement anyway. I was doing Pilates, but like the clams and glute clams and glute bridges are very good. But what I was finding was there was like a gap between the ground-based exercises and then running. So it's like, it was a really good starting point to like activate the muscles but there was no kind of like transfer or transition. So I started then looking at a lot more like specific exercises that would help people learn how to activate those muscles on the ground. I did it for myself basically and found it was quite beneficial, say for my hip and to keep me injury free. And then transition to say on your feet to replicate running movements And then that's helped me, I think, to activate that muscular system. Because what we talked about, um, when you're younger, you have a lot more recovery. So it it isn't like powers of recovery. So it isn't as big a deal to be overloading the passive systems. But running doesn't, it's really good at burning calories, but you don't actually activate your muscles that much. That's why people who get who run they rarely get a muscle tear like think of all your friends think of you like how many people have you heard of like oh he tore his quad or he tore his hamstring it's always like the calves can get overloaded the plantar fasciitis the Achilles tendon is sore his knee is sore her hip is sore her back is sore because the passive systems take that pressure so the muscular system, especially when we're sitting for like eight to 10 hours a day, say at work or, or commuting, as you get older, I find that you need at least one day in the week where you're doing like specific activation work to, to work the muscular system, which will then, once, once it's woken up, it will, it will help take the pressure off. It's like, if I know an Irish guy shouldn't be talking about fighting in a bar, but it's a good analogy where <laughs> if you, yeah, I know it's like talk about the stereotypes. I actually don't drink much at all. Maybe like once, twice a year. So that's come from an Irish man. We're not all drunkards. Um, but once, uh, like say if we were, if you're in a, if you're in a bar, right. And someone starts a fight on you, I'm going to come in and help you or break it up and like try camp, but I'm there to help because I'm awake. I'm beside you. If I'm sleeping in my bed and you get in a fight, I'm not there to help you. And that's the same with the muscular system. It's like if it's activated, if it's innervated and if it's primed, it's there to help the ligaments naturally when we're running because running doesn't naturally wake this up. So you need something to activate it. It needs to be kind of either some type of gym work. Or as I said, some like kind of intense Pilates. And someone says, oh, well, I, I, I do this 
figure four stretch you know i bring my leg across and i i do my stretch i do i stretch for 30 seconds before a run will that help i was like you're sitting for 10 hours and you think a 30 second stretch is going to counterbalance that it's like no 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 you need to get these things woken up you know it's going to take more than a 30 second stretch here and that that's reality so i think those i can talk for hours on this thing i always ramble but I think those things are one, not trying to train like you did in your 20s, dropping maybe one workout. So like a Wednesday and a Saturday for longer recovery times between having some type of rest day, maybe including cross training in the week. Like, can you cycle? Can you swim to get the same aerobic benefit? And then having at least one workout in the week that is targeted at like kind of improving the muscular activation or flexibility be it a kind of gym type of workout or be it a, a sports pilates as as i do first of all owen i could listen to you ramble as much as you want so that that's what you're here for and i really appreciate all that um you know i'm thinking about muscle activation and the way you, you mentioned gym work and and certainly i'm thinking about relatively heavy weightlifting is a great way to activate muscles to really recruit more and more muscle fibers as opposed to if you were to go out for an easy you know three or four mile run you know an easy five eight kilometers something like that you know you're not recruiting too many muscles you know it's it's you're kind of just using the least number of muscle fibers possible and actually the more advanced runner you are, who's probably quite economical, your body knows to not recruit too many muscle fibers because you don't have to. It's it's quite efficient in that way. And so is, is sprinting or strides a good way to activate a lot of your running specific muscles in your legs? Because it's just more of an intense type of running. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you need strides because they activate those muscles and as you said, like a strength training program, because you want that innervation. It's not even the strength you get from it. You're probably, because you're burning calories, you're not going to put on that much muscle. But so strides are brilliant. Uphill strides really work the muscles, but you're not having to go overly quick. So you're not straining yourself. Because if you think about the injuries, sprinters do tear hamstrings. They do tear muscles because they're using their muscles more. So adding strides in your in your workout not only improves running economy but is so important for that muscular activation that changing as well of like the range of motion that the joint is going through so like if you get a full range of motion through a joint that causes a synovial fluid which essentially is like the lubricating oil of those joints so we need that as we move this podcast might just be titled A Love Letter to Strides. It seems like we're both yeah, you know, yeah, so exactly. in favor of them. And, in, and as I said, I th- we didn't talk about it last time, but variety, like variation, you know, changing the surface you're running on. Do Ch- you change your shoes? Having a couple of different pairs of trainers, um, changing the focus of the training. So it's not just always a, a marathon into an ultra, back to a marathon. It's like a marathon down to 5K training into a 10k slash 10 mile into a good target of a half marathon and now we're back really primed to hit the marathon again and we're really nicely varying up what we're doing oh i love that you're you're 
speaking of the choir right now because it's definitely something that that I preach all the time. Imagine this doesn't record. This will be gem gem episode <laughs> podcast number two. <laughs> this is just we should just have this like uh, a series between me and you, Jason. And we can just talk about all the good stuff we were talking about. Well, I love it because you know if. I love being challenged, but I also like being affirmed when I seem to be on the right track. And so it seems like things like strides and variety are really important, even from your perspective as a high level runner and a physiotherapist. So that's always good to know. Exactly. And even the name of your thing of strength running, like I love the programs you have, you know, a lifting program, a running program, because it's actually something that is hard to to sell in ways that it's like, it's a vitamin. It's not a painkiller, as they say. Like people will all. It's easy for people to always go out running, and hopefully, we've given some some ways of improving your running. But like this is this is once you get in the habit of it, if you are lifting heavy or if you're doing Pilates, these are things that really will enhance your running, but allow you to run injury free as well. Even if it's like, look, none of us really like that. We all like to be out running, but these are the things, especially as we get older, we have to do to enjoy a running much more so and a lot of people think i'm doing marathons you know you've done a lot of marathons that and that's why it's so great because sometimes when people have done the longer stuff they shy away from the gym or the strength training but you've recognized that actually because the further you go away there's less muscular activation because from a mechanics point of view uh, so that's why you need a gym to supplement that so much more than if you're doing the shorter distances because from a mechanics point of view running and like franz bosch would talk about this running essentially is like an, there's no change in muscle length it's it's just stiffening the most all the muscles have to do is stiffen the tendons enough to essentially pogo through like you're not bending your knee and then pushing back off it's like you're essentially pogoing through and that's why they think like kenyans and um some of the East Africans are so good at distance running. They've got much longer Achilles tendons, you know, and that's why the super shoes are working so well because that's the key thing. But if we recognize that, then we got to recognize like we aren't using the muscular system and to prevent injuries, we need to activate that system much more because it's not going to be done naturally. It's just going to be a complete load on the on the passive structures, which is fine as long as you're getting supplemented by the muscular system. A hundred percent. I like looking at a training plan and seeing, okay, on what days am I really recruiting a lot of muscle fibers? You know, maybe it's weightlifting, maybe it's plyometrics, maybe it is strides, maybe it's the workout itself if it's fast enough. And so I know that if we're doing that maybe twice a week with either any, any of those things, preferably a variety of them, then the injury risk of the athlete is actually going to be a lot lower. Because I think you're right. I think a lot of older runners run into issues, pun entirely intended, when we don't start using our muscles more. You know, we are actually doing a lot of slower running. We're training for marathons and half marathons. We're not lifting weights. We're not doing strides. And in that kind of a program, where is the muscle activation? Where is the muscle fiber recruitment? It isn't really present in the training. And I think that leads a lot of runners to go down this road of having their athleticism and their coordination start to become impaired. And then their injury risk really goes up because their strength starts to decrease as well. So this is a a really interesting perspective on 
muscle fiber recruitment as it relates to injury prevention for masters athletes because I think it's critical as we get older. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with more. And like a healthy athlete is one that's strong, that's flexible, that can do strides, that has endurance. And as you said, not only do you increase the chance of injury, you're going to reduce the, you know, as you said, reduce your ability to improve because you just get stuck in that kind of one pace. Now, Owen, I'm a little curious about the workouts that you're doing now that now that you're you're an old man at 36. <laughs> yeah. You know, you said you brought it from three sessions a week down to two faster workouts. Do those faster workouts look any different if you were to go back and look at yourself from age 24, 26, or is it still roughly the same volume and intensity of work? You're just reducing it from three to two. So what I'm not trying to do is pack three session, three workouts into two workouts. I'm doing more longer stuff anyway. I've moved to, um, I've moved to, you know, doing five Ks, 10 Ks, but before it would have been like a track workout on a Tuesday. So you would have done say, even say, even if I was training for 5k, then I'll just explain what you might do in your twenties. And then we'll keep, we'll keep it 5k or 10k for you in your thirties, just cause it'll be more applicable. It would probably be, so let's say we're training for 5k. You would do a 5k session that's hard on a Saturday because you have longer time to recover. You would do your long run Sunday. You would have an easy enough run on Monday. Tuesday, you would do a relatively hard, uh, like relatively hard 3k session. So you're doing something slightly shorter and quicker. Wednesday would be an easy run. And then Thursday would be a lactic threshold session slash 10 an easy 10k session um friday might be an easy like a very easy run plus gym um then you're back to saturday so that's the that would be the type and again it's all it was always the same so you're going to go like um say if it's 10k a higher 10k session on saturday if that was the focus tuesday would be a easier 5k session which I still think is a really good way, like one hard session at your distance, one easier session below and one session above. Now what I would do is the, the two things have changed for me. Um, the first is there's a lot more, like I have a lot more work. I'm, I'm married. I have more like responsibilities. I don't like having to hit particular times for about 90, 80 to 90% of the year. So now it's more six by four minutes threshold and like a session, a session, I like this session, you like this one as well. And this will be a good one for your listeners. So you might do 10 minutes at like marathon pace, then uh, eight minutes at lactic threshold pace, and then six by a minute on, minute off at like, 10k or 5k pace depending on what the the time is um and then saturday might be like hills or or minutes or for me i do like still going to the track but not as not as intense so if i was still though doing it so what 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 i'm trying to say there is that i take the focus off having to hit particular times because that was fine when you have a lot more time to focus on it, but I keep getting emotionally worried about having to hit that time. I like doing way more stuff by feel now, way more stuff off heart rate. Um, 
uh, to get it. If I was just doing it the exact same way, just to explain for a second, I would still do like, say, say if it's 10K, you might do a 10K specific work on Saturday, your long run Sunday. Monday might be like uh, an easy run. Tuesday would be maybe a steady-ish run with some strides afterwards. Wednesday then would be, we might mix the two. So say if we were 10K focus on Saturday, because that's the goal. Wednesday might have some uh, threshold work to begin with and then finish with some 5K work. But the, the distance wouldn't be more than a normal session would have. So again, we're still getting a mix of stuff in, but we're we're combining, say, the above and the below in maybe one session. Well, you were right. I really do like that workout. And in fact, it's it's one of the common workouts I use with both myself and with a lot of my athletes where we'll do some lactate threshold work and then we'll go into like a fartlek around 5K pace. And, and that, I think, gives you a nice, healthy dose of both some faster, quicker repetitions, but you're also stressing the aerobic system with some fa- uh, threshold work beforehand. And also, I like running 5K pace when you're a little bit tired. You know, let's let's get a little bit more bang for your buck there. Yeah, and what's good, though, about that is, like, I think as you get older, especially if you have, you can't burn a candle both ends. So if you, if you have a very relaxed job or you have, like, there's time in the summer I'm going to be off more and I'm going to be really trying to hit fast 5Ks or fast 10Ks. So three weeks to four weeks out of my big races, say I might have done a couple of warm-up races, my priority is running. You know, I'll 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 tell people, you know, I'll be, make less appointments or whatever I need to to focus on that, like I did when I was in my 20s to try to hit that time. But the rest of the time, life is busy. So it's much more like you were saying there, Farklek, stuff that you can run by feel. So if you are just tired, if there was a lot on, you're not feeling guilty because you you, you haven't just have, I've had to hit these specific times. I've hit these last week. You know, you're not stressing yourself. You're doing it off your heart rate. You're doing it off feel. And I feel as you get older, it's just the reality of things. You have a lot more in your life. You can't, you can't be constantly going to the track or constantly trying to pace everything it should be a lot more on feel and i feel you'll do a lot better long term on that you know i don't think i've ever thought about masters training in this kind of a way and i've had so many conversations about how you change your training as you get older so that you can stay healthy and still be able to perform at a level that you're proud of and i think this is a big piece of the puzzle right here because a lot of the times what happens when you know, we get older, we're in our 40s and our 50s, and we have children, and we're at our, you know, the peak point of our professional career. There's a lot of other stress in our lives that we simply didn't have when we were 20 years old, 25 years old, maybe even 30 years old, where you're much more independent, you usually have to worry much more about yourself rather than others around you who might be relying on you. And I think changing the focus of your workouts to be more time-based rather than distance-based. So in other words, instead of going to the track and running four by 200 meters, you might instead run a fart like of four by 30 seconds. You're just not measuring the actual performance of your training to such granular detail because, you know, I, I was such a track nerd that I became almost obsessed with splits and the timing and pacing of everything. And, you know, if my coach said, I want you to run these quarters in, 
in 70 seconds, I would be upset with a 71. And I would probably get a talking to if I hit a 69. And that level of stress is just not something I can deal with in my life right now, as much as I love running. And I think that's a that's a key piece of keeping running fun and sustainable as you get older and and you still want to keep performing, but my God, maybe you can't worry about it that much. But you'll do you'll do better because as you said, it's it like as well as like you know, so say you're gonna still do those in 70. If you've had a busy day, say there's been something on, there's a there's an event for your your children, there's something coming up in work. That is playing on your mind because you know, like, you know, instinctively, like subconsciously that you're not going to hit 70. Or if your coach said it should be a seven out of 10, I want you to hit 70. You know, it's like, I'm going to have to go 10 out of 10 if even to hit this because I'm so drained. So you can't have, you'll get away with that once, twice, but that's going to burn you out. Where if you know, it's like, okay, I'm going out for a farclek, I won't even really record these. I'll just put like the Garmin on the heart rate monitor or, you know, uh, where I can't really see it. And I'm just going to go off feel like 99% of runners. And I mean this, and we all go too hard on ourselves. We, we try our hardest. We do, you know, and I always have seen people say, Oh, I gave up in that race. You didn't, you're probably just not fit enough at the time. So by going off fire click, I know sometimes people are like, I won't push myself. It's hard. It's like, listen to your body you will push yourself to an appropriate edge and you can see what like whoop and different things like recovery and listening is becoming so much more like scientifically proven to be right to, to be right when we know instinctively what's right so hopefully if people are listening to this listen to what jason's saying going off fire not hitting the times and give yourself permission 99 percent of the time you will go at the appropriate pace just off feel. You will. You are not soft on yourself. Even if you think you are, you are not. Runners are ridiculously hard on themselves. They are very disciplined. They want to run. If you're out running, you're getting the benefit you should. And I think you'll get yourself into more trouble if you try force things. Everything should feel 90%. And I was actually even talking to my friend who has a race today. I was like, or he's a race on the weekend. The older I get, the more I, I recall that. When I ran workouts, I was literally just saying that to him today. I ran workouts the week of a race, trying to force it. I hit amazing times. Like I've run like in session, like in workouts, like 23 seconds for 200 meters, 24. And people go, oh, you're going to run so fast this weekend. And I instinctively knew because how hard it felt. And it should feel hard. I, I kind of fried myself. I was like, no, I just, I'd be saying, yeah, yeah. But in, in subconsciously, I knew where the best, the best races I ran, you know, I used to call it keeping the tiger in the cage. I'd be finishing and I'd be staying behind someone or I'd, I'd, the coach just go, just feel easy. And I was like, oh my God. Now the times wouldn't have been impressive. If you, objectively, if you had seen it, that first workout the guy doing that compared to the second guy, if you just look to go, oh, that first guy is going to kill that second guy. But the feeling of being relaxed, having energy in my body, it, it can't be underestimated. So yeah, as I said, if you have a lot on, you can't constantly have to hit certain times or, oh, I, I run seven minute miles all the time. Sometimes you're going to run eight minutes. 
that's why the heart rate is so important, I think, for people to get a lactic threshold test, because it gives you permission to realize, oh, yeah, yeah, my heart rate's up. I am tired. Just go off this feel. And cumulatively over months or weeks, you're going to run so much better than overly forcing it and not enjoying it. And in the end, then as well, look, we're none of us, are, even my, my sister went to the Olympics and I can tell you even at that level, nobody cares. So it's about enjoying it because we're all just doing this. You know, I've won national championships and European champion and all the rest, but nobody cares. So it's not worth me having to overstress and worry about every every run or every session. Just get that enjoyment. And then four weeks out, three weeks out, you can start dialing in specific work if you need it. Yeah, many of my PRs have actually been after periods of less structured more stress-free types of training where I wasn't worried about specific track intervals and what my splits were and whether each interval was progressively faster than the one before it. And if the workout didn't have a wonderful, perfect negative split to it, then I would consider it a failure. I mean, I I really used to stress about those kind of workouts. Um, One thing I'm also curious about, Owen, is if your strength training approach has changed over the last 10, 12 years or so now that, um, you know, you're 36 and I, I think we can get away with not doing as much strength work when we're 22 and a little bit more awash in testosterone, but have you changed your approach to strength training recently? Yeah. Well, I didn't do anything really when I was younger. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> got away with running. Then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I only it's really started it. Um, other thing as well is I don't do a lot of jumps. If I want this for plyometric performance, I just do some jumping rope. That's it. Um, so I can tend to keep it at like a work capacity model. So the way I look at it, like training, it's it's Albert Mail's kind of performance pyramid. So basically it's like get good movement first. So the, like that's your sports Pilates. That's like just working on the technique. Once you have the technique, you move to what what's called work capacity, which is essentially the ability to tolerate load. So it's like getting your body just naturally stronger. And that that seems to be the type of training that boosts testosterone the most, which obviously you get older, gets a bit lower. So that's like reps of 12 to 15 uh, minute, minute recovery. So I might have like four, four exercises I could do. So it could be like a split squat, 12 or 15 each side. It could be like an inverse row underneath the bar, pull them my chest my chest up to it so upper body then into uh like maybe 20 kettlebell swings with a 20 kg and then into um it's like a half kneeling lift so like bringing the weight up and across my body and then taking like two or three minutes and then maybe doing like some single leg deadlift uh some stuff with the cable um things like that maybe just like three other exercises so not nothing nothing super intense i do love sleds um as i've got older because i can push those things fast with resistance i feel i can get in power in that way um but i've I've left out all jumps because of my knees and i i kind of overdid it when i got into the gym in my like mid-20s just for pure performance and uh so i just i've cut out jumps much more religious with the pilates i obviously do that every week and then much more religious doing some strength training work 
Yeah, I love that because it seems like your approach is pretty specific to the sport. You're trying to, you know, not really waste your time in the gym. I love the the single leg work that you're doing. I love the little bit of jump roping you're doing to keep some pliability and health into the Achilles tendon and the calf. I think that's really important as you get older. Uh, and then trying to work across the midline of the body, you know, saying moving weights from one side to the other. Uh, I think that can be really helpful for keeping your balance and making sure that your proprioception is still really good there. And one thing I do actually then, sorry, on that is work capacity. The next is max strength. So what you're doing after that would be power. I don't do Olympic lifts, but you could do Olympic lifts there or you could do your jumps. As I said, as you're getting older, it'd be more Olympic lifts than jumps. And then you're talking about plyometrics, which you can do as you're skipping. Um, I also break it into blocks. So it's like a block is like power. So there's some type of power exercise. For me, it's a sled or you could put skipping in there. B block is going to be one type of strength exercise. So like a deadlift or a squat. C and D is going to be like work capacity. So there's there's rounds of four. And then E is going to be some movement. So like some kind of Pilates exercise uh, or some like core work or some mobility work. And I think having that like variety in each session is important. And as I said, for me, I focus much more on the the work capacity. Um, and then I do obviously like your movement correction of, of Pilates. But you could put more focus on other places if you got more intense into the gym. For me, the gym is like purely for injury prevention, sim- like stimulation of like the hormone response. It's not really too to get stronger or anything really. So I do a little bit of strength with that just to keep the body healthy for running because that's that's my my love. Do you think stimulating that hormone response through weightlifting is more important the older you get? Because I've seen runners who, you know, you know, yes, they're stronger, yes, they're healthier, but they feel more youthful after they're in the gym twice a week and they're lifting relatively heavy weight. I mean, you know, we're runners. We don't have to be deadlifting 450 pounds off the floor, but doing some relatively heavy weights is going to provide a much bigger surge of testosterone and growth hormone. And that can just make you feel good, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like think about how you felt when you're in your 20s, you know, so bring me back, Owen. Bring me back. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but exactly like, so it's like, it's something that naturally declines a little bit as we get into our thirties and our forties and our fifties. So one getting that activation, of the muscles is okay. You're going to have that little bit of stiffness and soreness as you get used to it, but, um, it's going to make you feel good anyway, because you're increasing the range of motion in the joints. And then secondly, though, um, you are stimulating those hormones, which can naturally decline. So that's obviously going to make you feel a lot better. Oh, I love it. We're going to rename this episode to strides, tempo runs, and weightlifting, a love letter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if we did all S's, because we could call it stride strength and something. Oh, yeah. I'll have to do some brainstorming when I'm yeah, titling yeah. this episode. But uh, Owen, oh, this has been really great. I, I, I think this is one of those conversations that makes people think differently about the sport and how they're approaching it from a training perspective. And I hope it's been helpful for our listeners especially for those people who maybe don't respond to the really hard workouts like we were talking about before, or maybe those runners who haven't added strides or weightlifting to their training, there's certainly a place for that in in their training. 
And I think it's been really, really eye-opening to think about our running and our training from these perspectives. So, Owen, thanks for being here. Thanks for your expertise and your wisdom. If folks want to learn more about you and uh, any of your work online, where can they find you? Yeah, great. So the best place, um, I have a book. It's called How to Get the Line in the Best Shape Possible. So you can get it. There's a free download of it and an audio book at www.everardpilates, P-I-L-A-T-E-S. So everardpilates.com forward slash book. And you can just download the book there and uh, send some videos. Just when we're talking about strength training, I'm also working on this new device. It's called the back aware belt. So it's going to give you instant feedback on your back position so you can make sure that you are say exercising correctly. So if people want to check that out, it's called the backawarebelt.com. I love it. We're going to include links to that in the show notes on strength running. So you don't actually have to remember those links. You can just go to the strengthrunning.com slash blog URL. And this should be right at the top. If you're listening to this within a week of this episode being published, I'd love to be back on this. So guys, if you could give this episode a like, just so then I can be saying like, Jason, look, everybody like this one. Yeah. <laughs> so help us out. Help us out. Lots of reviews for this one. <laughs> Get the reviews out. Come on, if you're listening. I love it. Thank you, Owen. I, I promise I didn't pay you to say that. No, I didn't. Yeah. Come on. You got an hour, six minutes of gold here. So give it back. <laughs> Thanks again. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. And if you love this show, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. Before you go, I want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Right now, I'm on a real watermelon kick, and if that doesn't sound tasty, citrus is definitely my number two favorite flavor. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors, and it's surprisingly delicious. I brought boxes of this stuff to the Endeavor Run running retreat a couple weeks ago, and they were all gone within a day or so. (laughs) Everyone who tries it loves the taste of it, and it can be really helpful to prevent dehydration, especially in the summer months. If you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches or cramps or maybe sleeplessness, especially after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to get your free sample pack gift with a purchase, and you'll get your hydration optimized for this summer season. And please check out Ice Barrel for helping me publish this episode at icebarrel.com slash strengthrunning. Code strengthrunning will save you $125 on your own Ice Barrel. They make at-home barrels you can use for ice baths that don't take up the entire room, which is one of the reasons why I love it. And they're lightweight enough that even I can carry it without help. They're an easy drain system included on the bottom, and it's made in the United States from 100% recycled material. But the real reason I love a good cold plunge is because of the mental benefits. You might be surprised to hear that because most people like ice baths for the physical recovery aspect of things. 
And look, it's true. They do reduce inflammation, pain, and they also reduce blood flow to help jumpstart that recovery process. But runners don't actually want to do this after every single run. It'll short-circuit the adaptation process because, let's face it, some inflammation is a good thing. It helps us signal to our body that it's time to adapt and ultimately improve. Now instead, a cold plunge is great for when you do need some extra recovery, not after every run, but maybe you accidentally run a lot longer than you had planned, or you ran the workout on your training plan a lot faster than prescribed. For those times when extra recovery is a good thing, it's time for the ice bath. Plus, the mental benefits are profound. Cold plunges have been shown to reduce depression and anxiety, improve your mood and brain function, and even just five minutes gives you a great shot of dopamine afterward when you get out. And if you can sit in an ice bath up to your shoulders, <laughs> you won't have any mental issues with racing a negative split and finishing strong in your next race. You'll be used to discomfort. Go to icebarrel.com slash strengthrunning and use discount code strengthrunning for $125 off your own barrel. Okay, that's our show today, my friends. Thanks for being part of the strengthrunning community, for sharing and reviewing the podcast, and of course, for your passion for the sport. Until next time. <laughs>